0: So the title of our new series is called A New Season, and for obvious and evident reasons, we're beginning a transition here at the Moody Church, an uh, odd thing for us transitioning from having a uh, new senior pastor. The This has not happened for over 40 years, as Pastor Lutzer has served here for 37 years. We've been an in interim time uh, after that. So... Uh, most of you don't remember a time that you have transitioned as, uh, as, uh, as a church to a new pastor. And a new pastor comes to a unique role and needs a partnered team. That's what I want to look at today. And um, again, it's to grasp some of the weight of this transition, we need to look to the three T's of the New Testament, 1st uh, and 2nd Timothy and Titus. And because in there, we actually find the direction and teaching about what this ta- pastor is to be like. So we're actually going to move through these three letters that Paul writes to the uh, early church leaders to get a picture of this. Now, this is important because I want you not to casually walk past some of these ideas. There are 27 books in the New Testament. Three of them, better than 10%, deal specifically with the leadership in the church. Uh, they're small in size, but large in impact. And the New Testament says really not a lot about the style of music we sing but people will uh, people will go to war over the fact that they like or don't like the style of music it doesn't say a lot about uh, the way the facility looks matter of fact it says nothing about the way the facility looks and yet people will go to war over that yet it says a lot about what it means to be a pastor the character of a pastor and also how people would engage that pastor as well it gives much focus on leadership of the church so throughout the ages and different contexts, and among various ethnicities, the word would be proclaimed consistently and the practice of worship lived out in the context. Contextually, we would call that. So the role of pastor is a rare one. And there's, uh, this is why not everyone's called to be a pastor in a pastoral ministry. And everyone who is watching who's a part of the body of Christ, and particularly those of you who are connected to Moody Church, you have a role. Uh, you have a ministry. Everyone who's a follower of Jesus is sent on mission Everyone who's a follower of Jesus is called to ministry, but there is also a role in office in the church, this pastoral role, and it's actually referred to by an interesting word that I want us to take just a moment and not miss. That word is the word noble. It's the word noble, and in the word noble, we find something, well, that's worth exploring. Let's take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says, the saying is trustworthy. Let me just say, if you want to turn to 1 Timothy 3, that's where we're going to spend the most of our time. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which in the King James Version is translated bishop, in other places translated pastor, but overseer in the ESV, that's the translation we use here. We'll explain why that matters. It's a leadership function, right? But he desires a noble task. I want you not to miss that word noble because here as we look to the passage, first of all, uh, it's something that someone aspires to. Matter of fact, even during this time, some of you may have been engaged in ministry and mission at a higher level. You've been a small group leader leading a TMC community or whatever. And you might feel in your heart a call, an aspiration to this noble task. Well, I would encourage you to talk to one of the pastors here at the church. And let's talk about what it might look like to move in that direction. But noble is not a word we use that much any longer. It sounds like something King Arthur and the Knights would be, would be noble but the work of a pastor is a high calling. It's an important calling. It's something which most of us never do and sometimes can be hard to understand. Uh, and aspires to is not a like selfishness, I'm not trying to, it's not unhealthy ambition. It's, quoting the New American Commentary, it's a desire that springs from a genuine love and commitment, unquote. So it's not a job. It's interesting to note, you can be a pastor and not have a pastor job. You can be a pastor and not be paid or on staff. It's not called to the ministry. When you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to the ministry. We all 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a special gift, use it to serve one another. It's not Superman, right? The job of the pastor is not to do everything and make sure that everything's amazing. It's not the minister. The ministers of the church sit, well, not right now, but normally sit in these seats on a regular basis. So what happens here is that Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so we would say the Holy Spirit has led Paul to write down what's true and God's intended plan for the qualifications of a pastor. Now, here's the challenge. Uh, there's actually an article from uh, the Biblical Illustrator, which is an old, old mag- an older magazine. In, ni- in the 90s, I picked it up, and I love their description of the perfect pastor. Here's what it is. It says, he preaches exactly 20 minutes and then sits down. He condemns sin but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. in every type of work from preaching to custodial service. He makes $60 a week, wears good clothes, buys good books regularly, has a nice family, drives a good car, and gives $30 a week to the church. He also stands ready to contribute every good work that comes along. He's 26 years old and has been preaching for 30 years. He is tall and short, thin and heavy set, handsome. He has one brown eye, one blue. His hair is parted in the middle, the left dark and straight, the right brown and wavy. He has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends all of his time with the older folks. He spends all his time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. He makes 15 calls on church members, spend all his time evangelizing the unchurched and is never out of the office. So that's quite a job description. And part of the challenge is it's too often true. Too many pastors put a remarkable and unrealistic expectation on even the most gifted pastor. But we're gonna see today that a new pastor comes to a unique role and needs a partnered team. So let's take a look at number one on our outline, and that's some of the unique qualifications. There are unique qualifications of what it ultimately means to be a pastor, right? So we're gonna look at those unique qualifications from two passages. One is Titus chapter one, verses five through nine. We'll look at that in just a minute. And the other is 1 Timothy chapter three, verses one through seven. Both of these contain some of the qualifications of what it means to be a pastor. These are non-negotiable. These are the qualifications. A pastor might uh, like the Cubs or the White Sox, um, those are sports teams I've learned since I've moved to Chicago, and uh, a pastor might be young or old. A pastor could be any ethnicity, any background, any station in life. But what a pastor must be is biblically qualified to serve in a position inside of a church that's ultimately headed by Christ. Now, we can and go through uh, verse by verse, word by word, these things. But I think I can summarize. I'm still, still going to look at the passage. I think I can summarize these pastoral qualifications in sort of two big, broad categories. One is the word true. A pastor qualifications is that the pastor is true. Now, let's look at what that means by looking first to Titus chapter one, verses five through nine. It says, this is why I left you in Crete, Crete's an island in the middle of the Mediterranean, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town. Now, I'm gonna get back to this in just a minute because. The fact that the pastor is to put into order is a leadership question, right? In every town, as I directed you, it goes on. If anyone is above reproach, this is the pastoral qualification, but anyone's above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Now above reproach doesn't mean perfect. I'm gonna explain that more in just a minute because I little secret. I'm not perfect. Pastor Lutzer, pretty close but still not perfect he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain but hospitable a lover of good self-controlled upright holy and disciplined he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict so this is there's one of two main passages that sort of describe the role and i love the fact That when you look through these passages, I'm going to come back to it in a minute. When you look through the passages, you basically see a person who's true, who's a person of character, whose person's, the person's life lines up with how he lives. And we'll look at that more in just a moment. But let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, we looked at this one a minute ago, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, same words, right? The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Now, I want you not to miss these things because the vast majority of the things listed here are actually not the words able to teach, okay? Able to teach. Here's what I found in evangelicalism. If you're a good communicator, um, that's sometimes the only thing that matters, and that's not the way God intends it to be. Your character as a pastor is actually far more important than your communication, at least if you weight the number of mentions in scripture. So the true integrity, right? Husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. Now this is important because this is mentioned more than once. We'll come back to this. With dignity, keeping his children submissive. What does that mean? We're going to come back to it. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil, right? Needs some time to grow in the integrity and character, the true nature of a follower of Jesus. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so he may not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. Now, when you look at the passage here, you see a recurring theme that has to do with the character of the person. Um, a, remember, a new pastor comes to a unique role, needs a partner team. But the qualifications given here are primarily things like temperate, self-controlled, respectable, a good reputation, blameless, upright, holy, disciplined, um, and fascinatingly tied to children as well. But if you just look at it, Titus 1, 5-9, I'm just going to hit some of the high points, right? He says, uh, someone above approach. Husband of one wife. You see that in both passages, right? A one woman man, right? Um, children mentioned in both passages. Does that mean a pastor's children are perfect? No, actually, I want, I want you to do something too when Pastor Philip comes. I want you to do something that I've mentioned to you a couple of times. I want you to let Pastor Philip's children be Pastor Philip's children and to acknowledge, to avoid the comments and the references to pastor's kids. They're not helpful. They're actually hurtful in many occasions. What a great opportunity to guard the family of our new pastor. But again, there is a sense that your way you lead your children is a mark of how you'll lead a church. So why is it mentioned both in 1 Timothy and Titus? Because if you're a person who has maybe led your children in ways that, 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 that frustrate and that, that, that burned bridges and all, but then, then it might not be the best role for you to be in taking that same approach to a church. It goes on and says, not quick-tempered, right? Not arrogant, not a drunkard. Um, you know, not greedy for gain, not violent, right? But hospitable, self-controlled. Now, here's what's interesting. With the exception of the phrase able to teach, right? And specifically the phrase husband of one wife, um, all the other things apply to every Christian. Not every Christian is married and not every Christian is going to teach, but every Christian should be not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not a drunkard, not violent. You see, you see this is the qualifications of a pastor is the character of a Christian with some modifications to the pastoral office. First Timothy says, must be above reproach. The husband and one wife, sober-minded, very similar, self-controlled, hospitable, respectable, able to teach, goes on and on here, must manage his own household well. Now I want you to see this. So these descriptions have to do with a person who has a true and right character. Character is the standard by which pastors should be judged. The challenge is that's not always the case. Sometimes the case is their ability to articulate and to communicate well. And that's ultimately part of the role, but not the totality of the role. But a new pastor comes to a unique role and needs a partner team. So I started with true, but that's not the only broad category. Let's take a look at a second part of the broad category, and that's spiritual. Right? So person of character person who has a spirit, a vital spiritual life. Again, back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says this, it speaks to not a recent convert, so someone who's mature in the Lord, right? That's part of what it means to be a spiritually mature person, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. I want you to know, having been around a long time in ministry now, um, 30 years since I planted my first church in the inner city of Buffalo, New York, i um, I will tell you that I have seen a lot of pastors come and go and a lot of them flame out. And in seeing them flame out, it often had to be with the fact that their their ability elevated them to positions of leadership that their character was not yet ready to experience. And I've seen it. I've seen them flame out. I can name names. You'd know some of the names. So recent convert, it can be a relative term. It's not necessarily six months. But if you're not ready, if your ability... Elevates you beyond what your character can handle. It hurts you. It hurts your family. It hurts ultimately the church and the kingdom. So, however, he must be well thought of by outsiders. Now, I'll tell you, doesn't mean everyone likes you. Doesn't mean every person. But there's a perception that you know there's something different in a positive way about that person. So, may not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. So, the picture in First Timothy talks about someone who has a robust spiritual life. That's evident both to people inside who see your spiritual maturity and outside who see the difference Christ has made in your life. But that's not the only passage. Let's take a look at over in Titus chapter 1 verses 5 through 9. Uses words like upright and holy and disciplined. Don't miss those words. Hold firm, it says, to the the trustworthy, right? Hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Don't miss that. Hold firm to the trustworthy word so that, you know, you don't want a pastor who's just showing up because he studied on Saturday for the message on Sunday. You know, pastor is walking with the Lord Monday through Saturday and Sunday, but walking with the Lord Monday through Saturday and is ministering because he's held firm to the trustworthy word. And now he's ministering to the congregation from that overflow. Listen, here's the reality. One of the greatest truths that people need to understand is that pastors who lead through their own wisdom and strength consistently fail. And pastors who lead because they cling to the trustworthy word of God, they walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, they're true and spiritual. They don't succeed necessarily by the world's standards, but they succeed by God's standards. So again, these are characteristics that have to be cultivated, right? And that's one of the reasons that the pastor search committee walked and worked through this process for so long Why the elders walked and worked through this process so long, focusing on questions and hearing affirmed and affirmed again, Philip's character hearing again and again, his love for the word of God and desire to share that word. So a new pastor is coming and it's a unique role and he needs a, a partnered team. So unique role, but that's just number one. Number two is unique responsibilities. So there's unique qualifications that come into this unique role, and there are unique responsibilities that we wanna make sure we get a hold of. And we're gonna look at First Timothy again to look at those responsibilities. Beginning at First Timothy, it explains this, and it tells us I ch- to teach the scriptures is first and foremost. Sorry, I jumped ahead of the PowerPoint. Forgive me, folks. Uh, first is to teach the scriptures, and that responsibility flows out. It says, I charge you in the presence of God this is in 2 Timothy chapter 4 uh, of, and of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, preach the word, be ready. Now that means all the time that sometimes it's hard to preach the word, right? Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove or rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So we get a picture that the teaching of God's word Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling Timothy, is really central to what you do. I charge you. Actually, there's a bunch of, um, bunch of directives in this passage, right? Because it starts pretty strong. It's almost, uh, one commentator said, it's almost like a military-like description. I charge you, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is the judge living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, preach, be ready, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Now, i got to tell you, that's not always easy, because there are things that you will come across as you preach through the books of the Bible or as there are seasons when you address specific themes or talk doctrines or topics as a church that people don't always like. Philip is going to say some things that need to be said that not everyone's going to like. And that's hard sometimes, but that's part of a pastor's job. Listen again, it's Titus 1.9, which is kind of similar. It says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And when you hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, there are some things you need to say to a congregation that is sometimes difficult for the congregation to hear and that is the role of the pastor. You say, Ed, I just like it when the pastor comes and has funny stories and makes me think about Bible things I didn't know, or I learned more obscure knowledge about the Amalekites and the Jebusites and the Mosquito Bites, and I want you to know I get that, but at the end of the day, a pastor's call is to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, to give instruction and in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So when we bring a message up and we're in James chapter two that deals with favoritism and somebody talks about race and you're offended by it, then you have to say, how am I going to respond to it? Or somebody talks about how we treat women in one way or men in a different way that's not in the word of God. Or somebody talks about the immorality of something that we have done or we love or someone challenges our viewing habits on whatever it may be. When it's from the word of God, and it's brought forward, that's the role of a pastor. And one of the challenges is it's sometimes difficult. Now, some people really love that. Some people love, oh my, the pastor really stepped on my toes today, and it's interesting because there's a whole lot of people who love that but don't actually do anything with it. What I want is the folks who say, I want that because I need that, and I'm gonna change that because it's right. The word of God has spoken through the pastor to me. So Titus kind of speaks to that role. He must hold firm so he can give instruction. So pray for Pastor Philip to be rooted in God's word so he can teach God's word. And then pray for Moody Church that we might receive God's word humbly implanted. So there's the role of these unique responsibilities. Unique responsibilities first is to teach the scriptures, right? And then to lead the church. Now, here's, here's something I need to spend a couple of minutes on because... There is a call to put things in order and to lead the church. But the Bible does not spend an incredible amount of time talking about what it looks like day to day. At Moody Church, we have elders. We function with a plurality of elders. uh, We have deacons. We try to follow the scriptural pattern. But there's not like a handbook of how everything should be. There's no bylaws for Moody Church that are contained in the Bible in Second Opinions 4, verse 11. But there is a verse that speaks to this, and it speaks to this, and Titus, again, we're back to Titus, same passage, but this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So the calling is, to lead the church is to put things in order, right? And we see that on more than one occasion, but not with a great level of details. And I wonder if the reason for that is, is that 2,000 years ago, leading the church felt very different than it does today. Let me, let me explain. I can guarantee you that 2,000 years ago, the pastor of the First Church of Jerusalem did not turn to the executive pastor and say, hey, the tiles are falling off of the ceiling and the city is requiring us to replace them. What's our plan for that? Now, if those who have been around for a little bit, you know what I'm talking about. Those moving, those moving uh, uh, scaffoldings. Thank you. Thank you, Bill Birch. You just shouted out scaffolding. Uh, it's good to have someone shout back from the congregation. A little amens would be helpful, too. Thank you. Um, but, you know, all of a sudden you've got to deal with city ordinances, um, human resources. You've got to deal with budgets. Can I tell you? First Church of Jerusalem did not do Yeah, people say, well, there were 3,000 and 5,000. Yeah, and they went to home churches. And there were small groups, and then they went to the temple. And so the level of complexity to lead a church today is part of why this is a challenge. Leadership is tricky and remarkably more difficult than probably what we saw organizationally in the New Testament. So let me say, at Moody Church, historically, you've had a lot of great preachers, a lot of great leaders. Not all the great preachers were great leaders, and not all the great leaders were great preachers. And then you would build around that person structures that would enable things to grow and to succeed. See again, so Titus is told to put things in order to lead the congregation forward, right? So now Pastor Phillips coming, his job is going to be in a, in a healthy church to continue to ask questions about what does it look like to put these things forward for a future vision. And I will tell you, there will be nuances to Pastor Phillips' vision that's different then Pastor Lutzer's or Pastor Warren Weirsby, or Pastor Harry Ironsides. And that's part of the unique call that God has on each pastor. And that's part of the journey we have to take with that pastor because that pastor's called to lead the church. Now, again, let's come back to 1 Timothy chapter three and remember this passage again. He must manage his own household well. Why? The picture here is that if someone's going to lovingly shepherd his own children, right, then he's going to lovingly shepherd The church, and I will tell you, as the father of uh, three daughters, who I've tried to lovingly shepherd for the last 22 years, next week, next Sunday is Father's Day. I became a father on Father's Day. My daughter will turn 22 on Father's Day. And I will tell you that uh, that has been some of the greatest challenge of my life. And I've learned imperfectly with struggle and with some victory to shepherd them through that process. The picture of shepherding your children, leading your children, is on not one occasion but two occasions specifically mentioned to be the kind of modeling that as a loving parent you lead in a loving way. And as a pastor you lead. And as fathers we lead. But a pastor must also lead the church. And in Paul's word, take care of God's church. So you're not hiring a preacher, right, though they'll preach. You're hiring a pastor. So when I came here, we talked about my title and I'm the interim teaching pastor. And it was actually super important to some people that the word teaching was always mentioned uh, because I'm not, I haven't functioned as an interim, right? And so you've got good leadership, Bill Birchie, your elder team, you've got good leadership. But it's like, no, 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 interim teaching pastor, not the interim pastor. And actually that was partly because I just didn't have the place, space and capacity to lead. Okay, so what that means is, is that Pastor Phillip's going to come in And he's going to lead wisely, like a father leads children with patiently, not saying our church is all children, but the example in scripture is that, but here's where it gets tricky. See, let me tell you, I love pastors. Most of my work, you know, I I lead the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Most of my work is with pastors. Um, And so let me tell you what I tell pastors, what I'll tell you, I tell them. I tell pastors, if 10% of the church is not mad at you, you're not leading probably in much of anything. That's a tricky thing to have people consistently unhappy with you. So, I mean, what if Philip does things different than Pastor Lutzer? Some of you are hoping, well, we got Ed's gone. Now maybe we'll go back to the way Pastor Lutzer did things. I'm pretty sure Philip's not Pastor Lutzer, right? Um, what, if, what if he uh, dresses differently? What if he wore blue jeans? I've actually worn blue jeans twice here in the almost four years I've been in the interim. And on both occasions... People commented on it on Facebook, very concerned. And the you know Facebook, not before we all were on Facebook, but they commented on it. And a couple of times I go in and say, "Oh, well, thanks so much." Um, and and so so why? Because it appears that um, some people, when if you wear blue jeans, feel like the maybe the word of God is not rightly preached. Can I tell you? I want to give you a secret, right? I'm actually wearing jeans right now. I've worn jeans. of the Sundays, I just wore black jeans so you wouldn't know or be offended that they were jeans. But I'm gonna tell you, if Pastor Philip wears blue jeans or like the cool kids with holes in them, I'm gonna be mortified too, but I'm far more concerned that the word of God is preached from this pulpit than what clothing the pastor wears from this pulpit. And if you're already riled up and ready on that, any change is gonna be a challenge for you. Now, here's the thing. Um, Can you not learn the Bible if somebody doesn't wear a suit and a tie? I've done, I tried to do both. One of the reasons I tried to make it be that there was some difference. So you saw sometimes someone preaches with a television next to them. You saw sometimes someone preaches with a suit and tie and sometimes don't. Now, whether it's worked or not. But pastors make changes. Sometimes he might change the educational structure. He might say, I think this would be better. There might be a staff change, which I know will be okay as long as you agree with the staff change. See, the part of the challenge, leadership is change. When Pastor Philip comes, things are not going to be the same. And change can get some people upset because they struggle with the leadership that God has actually given pastors. Now, why? Why does that matter? You know, I, I was interesting. One of, the, one of the complaints we got was I was preaching with an iPad and I wasn't using the physical paper Bible. And you know, someone was unhappy with that. So today I actually brought the biggest Bible I had. So you know that as I'm trying this message, that this Bible is what I'm preaching from. And then I got a smaller Bible. So it's like a double stacked Bible. But my iPad actually broke three weeks ago. So I'm not using the iPad right now. But here's the deal. If Pastor Philip preaches with an iPad, It's going to be okay as long as what he's preaching is the word of God. You say, but shouldn't you preach with this kind of Bible? Can I tell you, nobody in the New Testament preached with something like this. And unless you start seeing Pastor Philip bring scrolls, whatever he's using is a newfangled introduction, whether it's a bound book Bible or a Bible on an iPad. Listen, sisters and brothers, don't sweat the small stuff. Be the kind of congregation that rallies behind the pastor in the new leadership that he brings and I recognize some of you, I mean, I get it. I'm not bothered by that. Some of you are like, oh, good. I mean, Ed's finished up his interim. I totally get that. Some of you, it's been a hard difference, right? Some of you have loved me. Some of you have said, I am the greatest preacher ever to stand in the moody church pulpit. Well, not some people. That was Donna. But, um, but, but, but then nobody else, really. But... Some are you going to like Philip? Some are you going to say, Well, I like Ed. Some are going to be like Pastor Lutzer, but we are not of Paul. We are not of Apollos. We are not of Pastor Lutzer. We are not of Ed Stetzer. We're not of Philip. We're of Christ. This is the church with a new leader. And the reality is, a new pastor comes to a unique role with needs a partnered team. Let me close with this. Finally, the pastor's role is to equip believers, teach the scriptures, lead the church, equip believers. Let's not miss. The equipping of believers this is ephesians chapter 4 it says this and he gave some as apostles some of the prophets as prophets some evangelists shepherds and teachers so what did god give shepherds and teachers pastors for to equip the saints for the work of ministry to the building up of the body of christ now i don't want you to miss this the call of god on your life follower of jesus is to be the ministers of this church the call of the new pastor philip is to be the one who equips you as the minister. We're not getting a new minister. We've got thousands of ministers at Moody Church. We're getting a new pastor who's going to teach us, who's going to lead us, and who's going to equip us. I couldn't be more excited about Pastor Philip coming. I hope you have that reality as, left, as much as well. But let me say to you, if your hope is that Pastor Philip's going to come and you're going to measure success by how much you like what he does here, or if he visits you, or if he does a good job on the stage. And I can tell you pastors can do those things and not be a faithful pastor according to God's job description. But instead, if you can say, pastor, show us Christ. Point us to Jesus so we might join him on mission. Point us to Jesus so we might praise him in worship. A new pastor comes to a unique role and needs a partner team. You have to trust the new pastor coming into that. Give him a chance to lead, support him support him when maybe others are starting to say, well, I'll, I'm not like this change. Let me just say to you, sisters and brothers, when we say, show us Christ, and the pastor leads in that way, following these qualifications, the future of Moody Church is bright. I got one more Sunday. Pastor Bill's next week and I got one Sunday after that. I'm gonna miss you. I have loved being your interim teaching pastor. I've grown to love and appreciate this church. And I'm so excited about the future. Under Pastor Phillips' leadership, but in partnership with you. As you say, Lord, use us for your glory and your honor. As the new pastor comes, you say, show us Christ. And as together we say, show us Christ. The song goes, oh God, reveal your glory through the preaching of your word until every heart confesses Christ is Lord. Let's make it our prayer today as we sing. Would you sing with us?